0: the podcast, you're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Sandy Pirro, who is an old school friend of mine and uh, an academic in the area of refugee law. We had a really fascinating conversation about academia, about realism versus emotions, about why people care about what they care about, uh, about biology and hormones, about... Uh, about the reality of being in legal practice and whether it would be better for her to have just chosen to be a fashion designer instead. This is a really good conversation I enjoyed having it as well as catching up with Sangeetha who was one of the very few people I got on with in high school which I think is probably more due to her being lovely than it is to do with any inherent qualities of me as a teenager. Uh, Thank you everybody who's been contributing on the Patreon couple of new subscribers this month. Thank you so much. It's such a wonderful thing that you're doing, is supporting this podcast and my other work. It means that I get to do what I want to do rather than trying to fit my output to some, you know, corporate entity or trying to make myself popular in a way. I get to do what I want to do and you like what I do. That's a really incredible thing. I'm going to be putting out some video content this year working on that now and that is also um being supported by your incredible contributions if you can't contribute on patreon uh then you can support the podcast in other ways you can leave a five-star review on itunes that helps other people find it you can recommend it to a friend or on twitter or on facebook you can tweet my guests to say that you enjoyed listening to them and uh just generally send me an email at Alice R Fraser at gmail dot com or hit me up on Twitter at alliterative A L I T R A T I V E. If you are in Adelaide, I open my show tomorrow, Empire tomorrow at the Producers at eight thirty and that will be running for three weeks. And then I will be doing it in Melbourne from the thirtieth of March for a month. Also at eight thirty at the Chinese Museum, I think. But look on the Melbourne International Comedy Festival website for that. After that it will be at the Sydney Comedy Festival for a week and the Perth Comedy Festival for a week and then Edinburgh for the month of August. So if you are in Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney, Perth or Edinburgh at those times, please come. If you know people in those places, please send them. This is what I do. This is how I make a living. If people do not buy tickets i'm just a person ranting in an empty room and paying for the privilege (laughs) so uh, i would really appreciate it if you do that if you can't don't worry just keep listening keep enjoying the podcast Uh, if you don't enjoy the podcast i'm very sorry Uh, i'm about to launch a new podcast um, with the abc if that goes through i will let you know we just did the pilot today with sami shah and cal wilson can't tell you more details than that but if it gets picked up then you will have another forum for listening to my voice so something funnier something a little bit lighter a little bit more um easy listening thank you again for listening you're having tea with alice
1: oh, <laughs> uh, do you want to introduce yourself um hi my name's sangeetha pillay i've Um, I'm a refugee law um, and constitutional law academic and I've known Alice for a very long time. (laughs) Yeah,
0: we went to school together. How uh, how have you been going? What have you been thinking recently?
1: What's happening in refugee law that you're wrestling with? Oh, everything. (laughs) Um, I think what I've been wrestling with is where, where I fit, where lawyers fit in this whole kind of landscape i guess it's an area that i um i was drawn to because i feel like it's like i don't know to me like the social problem of um of of now of here and i just want to use the skill set i have to um to help solve that as much as possible um but i guess what i've had to come to terms with is the idea that like law is an incredibly narrow vehicle for for solving um social problems and it's reactive and um it's it's kind of what i'm trained for and what i'm best at but it's not necessarily going to be the thing that like that actually um that actually instigates change in this area and so what do you think would instigate change like what what where is where does it fall short where's the gap I
0: mean if the problem is the law then surely
1: yeah i i think the problem is the law but it's law that's made by parliament which depends on who's in parliament at the time which is responsive to who's in the population and how much they care so um the problems law but it's a law that it's relatively easy to um, to change if there's enough will to do that it's not some sort of constitutional fixture in in Australian law that is like that that is there forever and so it seems like the biggest challenge is mobilizing people enough to
0: why don't people care what and, and why do you care and why don't other people care
1: I don't know why people why other people don't care I think a lot of people do I think there's um there's there's certainly a lot of if you I mean looking at the newspaper it seems like there's a lot of people that that um that care at the very least about specific things like there's a lot of care about the um the conditions that that detainees are are kept in um in um offshore detention centers like as a separate issue from whether people think that offshore detention is a good thing, there's a lot of like care about the conditions that people find themselves um, find themselves in. There's care about the problem of displaced people generally, but um, I, I I guess I kind of live in a, a bit of a left wing bubble, so I don't really know like how widespread that is across the population and i think people are probably up to their ears caring about the stuff that's like going on in their own life and when there's not an obvious kind of thing for you to do then like even if you care you don't really know what to do with that and it's probably much easier not to think about it yeah or
0: you get out the caring on social media and then you get on with your day
1: yeah i care because i'm the kind of person that watches the news and cries and is like maladapted to adult life (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, I mean, it's I, I find it really interesting that you, you've kind of chosen this incredibly difficult and heart-wrenching area. I mean, by definition, refugee law is dealing with people who are in terrible, terrible state. Uh, but, I mean, certainly in school, a lot of what we bonded over was like fantasy novels and living in a kind of yeah. a, a fairy world and you were always very kind of sweetness and light and and looked on the bright side and you know, managed to sort of get on with everyone despite the fact that they were all horrendous human <laughs> beings. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't have a great time at school, but uh, not that they were horrendous human beings, but you, you know, you sort of saw the best in people, which, you know, including me, I think I was a difficult kid. You a wonderful kid. Thank you. Uh, certainly a strange, strange teenager. But yeah, that's an interesting, like to me, it's an interesting choice that you've gone down this path where literally every day you're going to be meeting someone's horrible story.
1: Yeah, I, I, I question every day whether I should have become a fashion designer rather than a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I feel like if I had my time over, I might've, might've done that differently, but I, I guess I'm fundamentally pretty realistic. And so I'm not, the kind of person to like like i love escapism i love fantasy i love magic realism in fiction and um i like i feel really drawn to that in in art but i find it impossible to like look away from what i see as real problems and like real suffering in the in the world and so i'm not i don't think i'm capable of being like deeply optimistic the way that some people are like i think i like to see the best in people but i've got a very realistic i've been called bo- both a delusional optimist and a like extreme pessimist <laughs> oh that's interesting i
0: mean th- there's interesting data on the idea that people who read fiction are more empathetic than people who don't yeah, right. read fiction like
1: you don't i don't like, read anything right now <laughs> i haven't read anything not just just years. Cases. <laughs> But
0: apparently, that's the that's the thing of like you can you can connect with fictional characters maybe because you it's less dangerous than connecting with human beings. That if you are watching a story about you know a massacre on the news, you don't weep for each individual character slash person, whereas you can cry when you know, Mister Darcy doesn't yeah. call Lizzie back <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting thing. I mean, so you. I mean, you, you can jump ship from being a lawyer. You I know. know. I've done it.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. I think, um, and while I say that I don't know if I would have I done it if I had my time over, I, I really, like, intellectually really love the pocket of law I found myself in. I don't think all law is for, for me, but um, I like the kind of exercise of putting a case together i couldn't be a career barrister because i think i need to be more than agnostic about like what i do um and you think barristers have to be agnostic i think so i th- like not necessarily i think you could be a non-career barrister and just take the cases that please you um but then you can't really expect that to be your your bread and butter and i'd quite like to to do that down the road, but. I don't think i could have it as my job because like you need to be open to all things to um take on any
0: case i remember very early on in first year and i should have taken the red flag i did a, a shadowed a barrister in the criminal court and he was representing a man who had been accused of sexually abusing his stepdaughter and like, f- the first first out of the gate, I was so naive. It hadn't struck me that you could be representing the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I knew it in theory, but just the idea that, oh, that's something that you would have to do if yeah. they come, you know, ta- cab rank principle, if they come yeah. to you and y- it's not like you have proof that they're guilty or anything, or even if they, they are guilty, they deserve representation. So that that, and then also just going into court, that everyone involved was awful. Like, you know, she was not a nice person. She was behaving in a really insane way and he was accusing her of all sorts of horrible things. And and then you just think, oh, particularly in criminal law, you have to spend every day with horrible people. Yeah. Who are, I mean, not every case goes to court. So these are people who are uh, reasonably could be believed like reasonably you'd think the these people could have committed these acts and so they're you know you're already dealing with people who are for the most part horrifying human beings (laughs) and that's that's those are your colleagues like that's the people you spend your work day with yeah i just i just and of course there are innocent people who are accused of crimes all the time but for the most part it's it's not that, it's uh, the the day-to-day criminal court stuff for people who have committed crimes before and in this case they've probably but maybe haven't or there's some excuse or all of the, just the fact that it was so, so horrible w- it was a real shock to me and again, I must have been so naive but just the day-to-dayness of that, that, that it was just, he didn't care. He Need was making, skin, yeah. yeah making jokes about... These people and and you you'd either have to not think of them as people. Just as your work, or yeah. else you'd have to sort of accept that this is these are the people who you who you live with. These are the people around you. I think it would give you a bad a bad sense of humanity. Yeah. If your experience of humanity is always people who've committed horrible crimes. Yeah. Or could reasonably be. Accused of a horrible crime,
1: you'd have to really believe in the system, like yeah, I which think. I think I did until the end of law school, and then I went and worked in commercial law. I'm not sure shall remain nameless. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, I
0: think I might know that <laughs> um Yeah, you you lose your illusions pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think it is that thing of you ha- you'd have to be either a complete cynic or an absolute idealist. Yeah, like you'd have to just go well the law itself is this beautiful, pure thing that deserves me yeah. to wade through all the muck to, yeah. to uphold it. Yeah. Despite all of the evidence of all of the people who are like weaseling their way around. Like in commercial law, it's, it's less uh, filthy but it's more grubby yeah. in terms of the kind of the deals that people make and the, the realities of the whole thing. Yeah sort of get you down a bit you're like "Mm."
1: my red flag was doing clerkship interviews and i had one at another firm that shall remain nameless (laughs) a different firm um that put me through right to the end of the interview process and then didn't give me a job but i have no idea like why they put me through they seem to hate me from the beginning (laughs) (laughs) in my second round interview there was this partner and she was like i don't think you can work here like you you say you're interested in litigation but You've, like, your best subjects or like, constitutional law. You've done all this human rights stuff. You've volunteered for a refugee advice service. Do you know we represent the minister? Like, do you know what it's actually like here? And I went, I believe in the system. But I think that was my red flag. Like, you don't belong here. Go away. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> I had one. I
0: had one clerkship interview where, um, at another firm that shall remain nameless where they're kind of pitched to me like oh it's really exciting working with us we work with the big numbers lots of zeros <laughs> no with the sexy numbers they said <laughs> the sexy numbers and i was like i don't think i've ever found uh, you'll have to take that out and put it in the thing saying he's drinking a green tea um th- i don't think i've ever found a number sexy yeah <laughs> i mean i mean i guess if you're gonna have a sexy number. It would be the zeros or the ones, because at least they're <laughs> graphically representative. But yeah, it just and then the other sort of issues, this partner kept talking and saying, yeah, yeah, you'll you'll see your cases in the news and
1: and I just thought and it's like, what did you do on that? Like I think a lot of and and for credit to people that love mergers and acquisitions and and banking law and like whatever. Like I think anyone that that finds themselves in an environment and finds that they're good at it and finds it massively stimulating is like, that's great and full power to you. But I didn't, I didn't get it. I was like, Why yes, is- you're working on this big thing, but you didn't build it. Like, you know, you, you managed the tranche. Like you, you like...
0: Yeah, you manage
1: you, the documents. You
0: So what is exciting about this? Yeah, you made one contract link up to another contract in a particular clause and yeah. now all the contracts work together. It wasn't your great idea.
1: it like?
0: Which is why I, I think that, that idea of, oh, you'll see your cases in the paper was so strange to me. I was like, well, I could be in the paper. did discovery
1: for like yeah. 400 hours.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the one thing that was sort of, the one thing where i did get a bit of satisfaction was i worked on a big off-the-plan apartment complex so they were selling apartments off the plan and our big firm was managing that sale and so it was just these horrendous like we did like 1600 contracts in the course of a couple of weeks just yeah. very rote work and negotiating with people's lawyers basically saying take it or leave it yes these clauses are insane but you know yeah. take it or leave it there's huge demand um, and then they built the thing, so every time I walk past it, I'm like, "No, oh, I sold that when that was just s- slices of air." <laughs> and there's a vague satisfaction to yeah. that, but that level of satisfaction was nowhere near enough to make up for the fact that I found every day agonizingly <laughs> boring and stressful at the same time. Yeah. Whereas I imagine the stuff that you do now with refugees is might be boring and stressful, but at least you feel like it's worthwhile. <laughs>
1: Yeah I'm lucky in um, being in academia but in an area of academia that's very practically focused because it means the work I do doesn't have to be boring and it's to the extent that it's stressful it's, it's a different kind of stress it's the it's the stress of having to come up with your own ideas and like be disciplined enough to follow through on them and like be productive when like nobody's kind of chasing you at the end of every day and like building your own reputation and like navigating that landscape but I kind of get to work in an area I really care about on issues that that involve like quite a bit of deep thinking that like I select as the important issues so that that freedom is really um really incredible it, yeah
0: so is academia as toxic as people
1: say it is I probably haven't been in it long enough to say, and I've seen a very good side of it. Like, I've I've got to work with some really incredible people that have, like, supported me, um, kind of helped me to be at my best, supported me even when I haven't been at my best, like, emotionally and and kind of professionally, and just kind of really, despite being very productive and and very immensely busy themselves have been really really nurturing to me and not just to me to like many other um many other junior academics um so there is a real sense of community there are uh, like most of the academics i've met have been wonderful people um but it differs from from faculty to faculty um it differs from there's a lot of there's a lot of pressures on on people that put pressure on you that you don't see i think so like your faculty may be healthy or it may be unhealthy but they're dealing with like central administration and issues that come out of that they're dealing with like a funding landscape that they don't have like control over a lot of the time and the pressures that come out of that and um i think it's a it's a rare person that, like, has the research record to put themselves in... Like, it, it's weird that that's the skill set that you look for when you're appointing someone as a as a dean. Because in, in many ways, like, being an amazing researcher is, like, quite a different skill from, like, the skill that you need to navigate that kind of um, environment. So it's, like, a rare selection of people that have... Yeah, own. you
0: say funding landscape. That's a really weird thing to me, given yeah. that, like... I don't know. Maybe I'm an idealist, but surely academia should be about learning for learning's sake or knowledge for knowledge's sake. If you're thinking about funding, then necessarily, like, yeah, there's got to be some sort of pressures about what kinds of things you produce and what kinds of things you're saying and whether those things are popular or unpopular.
1: Yeah, which is like, ugh. I think there's been a shift politically towards like thinking about the like about academic research in terms of the impact that it has mm-hmm. um, which to me is okay like it it's not sorry that came out wrong like i don't I don't mean that that's a great way to look at things. I mean that it works for me personally because I tend to be kind of outwardly focused and like pragmatic and look at things that seem to be pressing, like problems that are the problems of the day and like directed towards those so the kind of stuff that I'm likely to produce is stuff that if I do it right I could probably make a case for impact Um, so it kind of it works okay for for what I want to do in academia but it it kind of it is at the expense of the sort of deep thinking that doesn't have a more obvious direction but is nonetheless very very meaningful and very very important and that's a challenge like some areas are faster moving than others and I think they um, they get more, funding, yeah. more funding and um, then there's more pressure to align your your work like your practice with the kind of stuff that is going to get funded and like that's okay for some people like like me but it's not okay for other people and it's a problem that, yeah
0: yeah I feel like that's a a mass- I think this is an interesting, like, I think it's about, I think it's the result of postmodernism. <laughs> like, I, I've just been thinking about this recently because, I mean, politically, not to talk about American politics, but let's just say generally, this kind of wave of populism has been, that's happening all around the world at the moment, has been like underwritten by this mistrust of experts. Yeah, which is a postmodernist thing, like yeah. the idea that there's no difference between high culture and low culture. Yeah. That, that something is is good because it's popular. Yeah, which I mean, you understand that like for a long time there was this snobbery almost mm-hmm. against things that were popular. That you pr- you would prefer or privilege things that were not popular because they must be better. Yeah, and if only a few people could understand them, they must be better. And and the kind of academia was built around that of the idea that you know the higher up in academia yet the fewer people can even understand what you're saying let yep. alone you know let alone engage with it in, in an interesting way but then like that's that idea which was a really fun idea to play with that you know why shouldn't we analyze comic books and movies just because they're popular and easy that yep. doesn't mean that they're not art and all of that's a really interesting and cool way to think about the world but it seems like the the step that's come out of it is people going well nothing is better than anything else yeah and and again it's like we're breaking down class systems no one is better than anyone else and and no type of person is better than anyone else and all of that is really good and true as far as it goes yeah but the reality is some people are better than other people (laughs) like not 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 by virtue of their class or race but like there are some people who are smarter than other people there's some people who are more valuable than other people like and there's some work that's more valuable than other
1: work i have a theory that everybody adds up to one like if you take the combined like net worth of the skills and like I don't know goodness and like talent that every person has in like the infinite different ways that that could manifest everyone works out like about equal my my partner who is an actuary and like a bit less starry-eyed than me thinks this is a lovely theory but the dumbest most like mathematically inaccurate (laughs) theory anyone could ever have
0: well i mean in like in the context of my current argument (laughs) uh he's probably right no one should listen to you (laughs) like he's the expert on numbers and that's not how numbers work yeah but but again maybe like applying numbers to a moral landscape isn't (laughs) isn't the way to go about it um and so in a moral sense maybe you're correct but I think you'd have to do some pretty squirrely maths of for some people of like you know Hitler did love his dog, yeah, but how like yep. he'd have to love his dog a lot <laughs> <laughs> like a like an enormously beautiful and pure <laughs> transcendental love that like overcame time and space and the lives of millions of people yeah so i i mean I mean unless you're starting to get like adding someone up to one in like a morally neutral sense yeah that like maybe then just impact wise
1: i don't know i think i meant in a morally neutral sense but i also really didn't think it through (laughs) spouted out this nice idea and it was questioned and i've stuck to my guns with it ever since yeah yeah
0: (laughs) fair enough i like i like i like
1: a rethought position (laughs) i like being like oh actually i don't believe that at all (laughs) but I've stood by it for many years. It became um, everyone adds up to more or less one. and Like, more or less everyone adds up to more or less one. Yeah. People, like, are much more equal than we make out. <laughs> like,
0: the- Yeah, well, I think, I mean, certainly from a personal... Like, if you take it from, like, a subjective point of view, like, people believe themselves to be yeah. one. Like, from people's subjective experience. Like, it's, it's fascinating to me how people will value the thing that they are good at as the thing that it's good to be good at yeah yeah and think that they are sort of in the upper percentiles yeah. of that and therefore they are good and you so, look at yeah. someone else
1: that doesn't do that but like might do a million other things really well and you just see that they don't do the thing that you do and you're like what an idiot that person yeah yeah, is yeah like exactly <laughs> like
0: sport sporty people are like bloody intellectuals yeah. and intellectuals are like you know fucking thugs who just care about their bodies and yeah. And you know, mothers are like ugh, career women, and career women are like ugh, mothers. You know, <laughs> not not that not necessarily in like as an overt a way as that, yeah. but I think intellect like in your little secretist yeah. mind, you're like, well, the thing that I'm good at is the thing. Like my, I don't know if I should name it. Yeah, my cousin. She's super beautiful, super glamorous works in PR and her Instagram is just a thing of joy. It's just these beautiful pictures of her in glamorous places and she's got an incredible like incredible body, incredible bottom and somehow always her bottom is facing towards the camera. <laughs> like it's just like it's a real feat of effort and skill and she's very smart. Um but when I look at her stuff I'm like why would that be the thing that you want to do? Yes. Because she's building this career that because what she likes is sort of glamour and fashion and and that stuff that's all she wants to do with her life and so she's building a career that will let her have those things access to these fascinating parties and good food and good clothes and all of that stuff and I don't value those things at all yeah so when I look at that I'm like why would you do that with your yeah with your incredible brains and everything all of your skills that you have but then I'm doing exactly the same thing like I like playing with ideas I like comedy and all I'm trying to do is build a life where I get to play with ideas forever yep. and do comedy forever. And that's what I think is important. But like, who am I to say? But then again, that's my—that's what I've just been arguing against. Maybe I am the one to say. <laughs>
1: Maybe <laughs> one thing that is better. I the hardest thing. I can't reconcile that at all. I think like I feel constantly torn between like I think I found a job that uses my skills quite well um and i think i could be okay at it and i think i could make a contribution this way and i also see this like infinite potential for it to just consume my entire head and eat me up and i don't know whether what i want is a job that like that allows me to be helpful and intellectually fulfilled but kind of at the expense of a lot that's good in the rest of my life or whether I want a job that's none of those things but allows me to focus all of my energies like into into the the non-work non like friends family friends family yeah like just like carving out a, a life that's as beautiful as possible and I feel like on the one hand that's all about what i want and on the other hand i feel this responsibility to like not do something that's like that's kind of to do something that i see as important for the world and not just important for my own fulfillment but ideally it would be both <laughs> well,
0: it's, it, that's a really interesting i was talking about the ethics of having children the other day yeah uh, i have a, f- a friend who's thinking about having kids and he was like well you know for the price of raising one child in the Western world so the the kind of the uh, I think it's called give well they, they've done the maths That's not not just getting an injection for someone or buying them a mosquito net but to save somebody's life properly you know from childhood make sure they get all the vaccinations make sure they get education make sure that all of that stuff from go to adulthood it's about three thousand dollars so, it's not like this give a dollar, get a well kind of thing. It's like actually the maths is for $3,000, you could save a human life. And there's these kind of ethics people who talk about it. If you were wearing a $3,000 suit and you saw a kid drowning, not to jump into the water would be insane. You're not, even if it would ruin your suit. And so, despite the fact that it's not that immediate a problem, that's the real moral maths of it, mm-hmm. is the contention that they make. And so to raise a kid in australia i think it's four hundred thousand dollars if you're doing it cheaply quarter of a million if you're sending him to private schools kind of thing so for the price of raising one kid in the western world you could save at a very conservative estimate 100 children wow so what is the ethics of that right like like what's what do you do in in terms of like are you building the best life for yourself or are you trying to contribute to the world in this way and then how much of your like discretionary income should you be giving to like which charities to do what and and like that's a really terrifying sort of maths that a lot of people
1: just don't do it becomes really difficult to like even if you're trying to you know be generous with your money and make ethical choices in what you do just navigating that like that landscape of what actually is like what's a genuine ethical choice that's helpful and what's something that's just going to make me feel like a better person without actually achieving very much yeah gets overwhelming
0: certainly giving money to people on the street is basically the transaction is i'll give you money and you make me feel good because there's no like very very little of that money actually gets to yeah the ground. So you have to kind of think about that, or you don't have to think about it. But it's one of the things that I do think about. I mean, the joke that I made to my friend was if you have one kid and you raise them, and then when they're like 16 or 18, you send them out into the world to like hand out a thousand condoms, <laughs> <laughs> then in like impoverished areas where children mm-hmm. have a terrible life, then you've probably been a net good for the world (laughs) (laughs) or you know bring up the kid to be a mass murderer (laughs) just so long as the numbers come out even (laughs) Uh, but I mean that's that's a joke but also like there is something to be said for raising someone who's going to be super useful in the world yeah but then maybe you could be the one who's super useful in the world yeah and maybe you can't be super useful if you have to look after a family I don't know it's a,
1: and you can't like that would be a horrible way to raise a child like with your hopes and dreams pinned on them becoming super useful in the world.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> my you, parenting's
1: been a failure you're if you don't. be worth it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel to a certain extent like that's the kind of the thing with me as well. Like I heard a guy who used to be a colleague of my dad's just after I'd quit being a lawyer to be a comedian, and he was making fun of my dad because my dad's very. ...sort of dignified and he's very, uh, he's very much respected in yep. the community... ...and is a pillar of sort of right yep. morality and, you know... Eth- ...like f- he annoys people because he has no public flaws in that way. Yep. He's very, very holds himself to very high standards and yep. so on and so forth. And this person was going, oh, is that your daughter? The one who, you know, went to Cambridge and was a lawyer... ...and has now quit to become a comedian. How does that feel? And I was like, yeah... Like that can't have felt g- i mean that's one of the reasons why i stayed a lawyer as long as i did was because there is a certain investment that your yeah. parents make in you hoping that you will be worth it <laughs> <laughs> and of course on one level you're always worth it because yeah. they love you and they're like there's a biological imperative there to yeah. to be proud of you and and to you know think that you're worth it just by virtue of having become a human being out of their (laughs) sperm like yeah but on another scale like there's a lot of kind of time and money and effort that goes into raising a kid and that's a contribution that you're making to the world it's like you give a thousand dollars to the world and you suddenly realize that half of it is chocolate coins yeah like i'm the half that's chocolate coins (laughs) (laughs) the rest
1: is my brother (laughs) and there's that like like we were talking about earlier that seeing the value that someone else has if your child turns out vastly different from you it's that adjustment that like appreciating like whatever gifts they have and whatever they're offering if it's not the thing that you intuitively recognise as being the most worthy thing because it's not your thing
0: (laughs) yeah well if if what you value is sort of uh, the respect of the community which I think is something that my dad values then what, what happens when your daughter tells dick jokes for a living <laughs> 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 or whatever it might be. Um, I, yeah, I find I find that. And I obviously, like my, my dad, I had him on the podcast a little while ago. He's, he's very proud of me and, and so on and so yep. forth. But I think it was a bit of a journey for him. Yeah. I think it was that thing where, like, you know, that theory that your emotions just happen and you're like the person riding the elephant. Yeah. I and should so, be okay with this. but like, Yeah, well, it's that, that, that he's like, I'm proud of her and I love her. But I shouldn't be by yeah. like, by my own kind of logical yeah. measures, I shouldn't be. And yeah. so then, but I am proud of her. And so he sort of has to work backwards yeah. to figure out the things that he is proud of. When the pride that he has in me is completely irrational. It's just yeah. programming. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's that thing of, well, you know, you're in, you're in love with someone. Yeah for whatever reason just because your body tells you that you're in love with them and then you figure out reasons why you should love them why yeah. they're lovable <laughs> you kind of backtrack and justify why they're lovable yeah. I think or you're angry for you're angry and then you figure out why you're angry afterwards yes and it might not even be why you're angry but it's just yeah you, you put the reason on because oh that makes sense that's a reason I'd be angry yeah sure
1: yeah hate being asked to explain why I'm angry because it's like whatever immediate thing is there I'm going to latch onto that and create some like tortured logical narrative for why that's the thing that makes me angry and then 15 minutes later after going on a big rant I'm going to be like that wasn't it at all I'm like just
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just angry because I mean it's uh, yeah the um hormones stuff is really interesting like the the amount of our personality that's made up by our hormones is terrifying you talk to people who've been on testosterone or people yeah. who have been on estrogen or, or fathers like people who have f- fathers get a massive boost of estrogen so they go from being yeah. men and thinking of themselves as men in the way that men are men you know i'm a practical person and i don't cry about stuff yep. and you know i that stuff is silly bullshit i don't care about that or and of course i love my kid but you know whatever it happens to be and then they go from that to suddenly being in tears at a tissue commercial yeah that's something that you would think of as part of your personality the thing that makes you cry the things that make you cry are part of your your inherent personality we think but then all of a sudden you get this just shot of hormones and all of a sudden you're a different person yeah like that's really interesting to me yeah i don't know i I find that fascinating (laughs) oh man so do you think that you care about refugees for rational reasons or for irrational reasons
1: i i don't know combination i think so i i think that i think that there are a lot of rational reasons to care about the issue there are uh, there are a lot of rational reasons like grounds on which you can critique the way in which Australia manages this issue even if you don't like irrespective of whether you have like some grand solution that you're pushing there's like a lot of rational argument that you can make in this area about how things could be better and like what's unsatisfactory and I guess that's kind of the territory that like my work lives in and so I feel like it's very rationally grounded in that sense but um I think there's also a lot of just being kind of affected by the stories of individuals that you hear that really speaks to me and that was probably the first thing that drew me to caring about this and that's I don't know it it seems like it's not exactly irrational but it's not really rational either it's like it's kind of like micro-focused empathy um it i i think that probably happened to me when i was like a child or a teenager and i've never really like let go of it and um that's yeah
0: do you what arguments have you heard against what you do like what's the position of the person who would say you shouldn't care about
1: this to play th- devil's advocate as it were i think that what i found is and i mean I've, i'm quite new to this area so i did my phd on like citizenship as a legal concept in australia and um to to cut a long and boring story short we kind of don't don't have any reference to a national citizenship in in the constitution in australia and so the like the, the powers in there that govern citizenship are the same ones that govern non-citizens and so we've basically got like constant like a, a constitutional framework that gives parliament um extremely wide powers over anyone that isn't a citizen and so that kind of shapes the kind of legislation that we have um that Affects that affects um, migrants and refugees, but it also affects like the kind of citizenship legislation that we have. So, so I've
0: you mean in terms of if you're in Australia, the government has power over you.
1: So, if you're an, an alien, which is basically probably anybody that isn't a citizen, then um, the parliament has power to make like you know very very broad legislative power over you. So, if you have been here a very long time and you're um you're but you're not a citizen um then there's legislation that says that you can be deported if you like if you engage in certain behavior um the standard is if you kind of have been sentenced to to more than 12 months in in prison that like opens up the prospect of like you know being sent back to where you are a citizen of um and that just comes out of you being an, an alien um, in Australia. And so um, that same, like people that, that are asylum seekers are also aliens. Um, there's very, the, the parliament has very broad legislative power to work out what to, to do with those people. So they have no inherent, Some some countries have, human rights in their constitution and that that say you can't do certain things to anybody that's in your territory we don't have anything like that so the power that parliament can choose to exercise over um over asylum seekers is is very very broad and they don't need to use all that power but it means that like if they you know things like offshore detention become very difficult to challenge on on constitutional grounds because like parliament has has so much discretion um mm-hmm. can't remember what i was talking about <laughs> um so i'm new to this area so i i haven't like most of what i've written so far has been on on citizens rather than on on non-citizens and so this transition is like what i what i want to do but like it's I don't have a lot of feedback so far um, in terms of like the response I've got to um, to the work I do in this role because I've only been in this role like a week. Yeah. But um, like I've written in the in in like the the conversation and things like that um, in and and done like radio interviews and and things on. Citizenship and like on recent legislation that was um, passed expanding the the grounds um, to remove like to to um, revoke the citizenship of of um, certain individuals on like mostly national security grounds um, and I find that the reaction that I've got to that is often not directly targeting the point that i'm making Mm -hmm. um which is which is fine but it's interesting like i I find that
0: it's the nature of internet comments what point are they targeting then what what's the um what's the ghost they're fighting
1: i think it's like why do you care about these people so with citizenship why do you care about these people that want to hurt australia why are their rights more important than my rights or like the rights of you know victims mm-hmm. of of terrorism or of like of crime like why are you focusing your attention on these people that are not worth um that like I- it's that question of like I- in that case it's like these are these are ugly unhealthy people and why are you focusing on their rights why aren't you focusing on something else um and whereas the point that i've been trying to make in like what i've said on this is just well if you look at what we're supposed to be trying to do if you look at the justification for this kind of legislation which is to like promote national security and like protect people within the country this legislation doesn't actually get us there like it it doesn't help It sort of hurts like you can think of you can list various detriments to having it set up like this but it doesn't actually do anything that other legislation doesn't do so it's not really a a question of like weighing the rights of even though like at some point it is a question about like weighing the the rights that everybody no matter how unappealing a person they are should have against like the rights of most people to to kind of i don't i don't know it's just like I've never got to that ultimate question it's just like this isn't efficient legislation mm-hmm. um, but you get that very emotive reaction from people and I think it's the same with refugee issues it's like why are you focusing your attention we've got enough problems here there's there's people here that are struggling to find jobs and that are like doing it really tough and um why are you focusing, why are you focusing your attentions on, on this? It's like, it's, it's not what we should be looking after our own kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And do, do you have an argument against that?
1: I think it's the same argument as like, it's it's the same thing that I'd say on the, the citizenship stuff that I've already done. Like I can appreciate where people are coming from when they say that, but like anything that like that my work argues for i don't think is really at the expense of what they're saying is important Mm. and that becomes a difficult rights under a zero sum game exactly like and it's 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 always odd to me when i hear that because it's like well i i do care about you i don't understand why you can only care about one group of people in a like why you can only care about the the pain or the difficulty that, that one group of people are, are coming through. It's not like it's a question of, like, your job being given to a refugee where you lose out. It's a question of, like, should this arrangement that, you know, I would say has has many inadequacies um, to it, should this persist or is there a better way of, of doing things? And that's quite detached from, like, the... The kind of micro level problems that a lot of people experience in their in their day-to-day life but mm. it's hard because like on the one hand it's very tempting to say that's this missing point of like what i'm saying and so i don't want to engage with it but i think the the kind of key to like i don't know i i see my job as like i would like to use my position in academia to try and communicate as well as possible with as broad a range of people as possible, and not just kind of speak to the people that already agree mm. with me and already understand the the language that I use. So, yeah, yeah. why why I became a comedian? Because
0: <laughs> uh, you can talk to everyone, but it is uh, yeah, that's a a really difficult sort of fight to fight if you're people are sort of coming to you already angry already set in their ways and like you said at the beginning of this conversation like the the thing to change may not be the law it may be people's opinions getting people kind of on side with you so that's like a secondary function for you in terms of trying to persuade people that these rights are important one way or another
1: yeah i think i'm personally like I think the law has the capacity to um help a lot in a reactive way in a narrow range of circumstances and like I guess over time I've sort of built up the skill set to potentially be quite useful at, at <laughs> doing that and so that's good. That like that seems like a, a, a career choice that's like you know, potentially leading to a contribution that's useful. But I don't think it's, like, the ultimate answer to we're not going to solve this in some massive high-court challenge that fixes everything. We're
0: yeah, although you'd sort of wish it to be so, like, the law is deliberately...
1: I don't know if you, if slow. you would. Slow. Like, I... I. Like, sure, like, in one sense, I, I wish that we'd have that and I'd get to work on it and we'd win and it would be wonderful and we wouldn't have Manus Island anymore, but... Mm-hmm you there's probably something to be said for the law being in step with community sentiment rather than like yeah massively ahead to, of it and yeah
0: dragging behind community norms more yeah. or less isn't it so that you don't have mob rule or yeah. swift well i mean it's it's dictatorship whether it's benevolent or yeah. not if you're imposing things from the top down yeah although you can sort of gently suggest or lead in certain areas Yeah. i mean you had to read a lot about the stuff on Manus Island.
1: How was that? Um, I got to. I got to read it about a year before it kind of got leaked because I got to help out with research assistance on a high court challenge to it, and um, I got to. I got to read some of it in the context of that and it was not really relevant to what i was doing and i didn't need to read it and i shouldn't have read it but i did and it was uh, like it it kind of broke me i i think part of why I, i gravitate to constitutional law is that it's it's quite detached it's quite like it depends on I don't know kind of I guess quite precise technical argument but that said there's a lot of scope for creativity in in like it's it's a weird kind of rationality and it's it's almost like you need to be very logical and and rational to be a lawyer but like it would it's also a career that would deeply irritate anybody that's too logical and rational because it's sort of logic within a political construct that at some point was just made up by who was there. (laughs) So it's not like logical and rational and precise in a scientific sense, but that's kind of nonetheless the skill set. the thing that
0: always got me was the reasonable man. Yeah. Like, I don't know if the listener knows about the reasonable man, but the reasonable man in law is a matter of fact. So a judge decides on the fact of what a reasonable man in the position of the plaintiff would have thought or done. And that's like, that's the framework of this kind of legal, it's a legal construct based on what an old dude usually, like what a judge thinks someone would have thought Yeah, if they were reasonable, like what is that? That's, yeah. that's completely mental build a whole kind of it, i mean the way that it presents itself is though as is as though it's maths yeah you know you make out the case if these elements are present if these facts line up if this thing is here and if that thing is there and one of the things is just what some person thinks another person should have thought yeah <laughs> that's and it sort of goes out
1: from there it's yeah pretty mad yeah yeah but i think that it still kind of requires a like a predisposition towards like thinking about things in a in a logical and rational it and sort of detached way and that appeals to me because it's really overwhelming to me to kind of deal with like i'm naturally quite emotional and if i didn't have something that like puts on at least the appearance of rationality to hide behind, I, I think I would, I would like be pretty broken working in an area that, like, that kind of is emotionally difficult.
0: So was that part of the reason why you found reading the stuff about Manus Island so affecting? Because you, you said that it wasn't something that was relevant to what you were doing and you shouldn't have read it or you didn't need to read it is part of the reason that you found it so distressing because there it wasn't something you could put into the framework of what you were doing or was it just inherently
1: incredibly distressing I think it was inherently it was a weird experience kind of helping out with that because I was just helping out on constitutional law points which were quite narrow um and like kind of not that like you know it was Kind of a bit of a long shot like it, it felt like um and so it was like well i'm brought on to to kind of help help figure out this quite narrow like like argument that's quite technical that doesn't seem to address the heart of the problem in in many ways it's like if you were to talk to anybody about what the whole issue that like that the case was throwing up was about you'd say it's about like the affidavits that come out of manas island it's about the fact that you've got all these people in this environment and this is what's happening to them and like it's um it's problematic that that this is that this is like happening, happening on our watch ha- happening on our watch um but that that's not the way that you you and you wouldn't like in any in any area of law walk into a court and say this is about this terrible thing that's happening that shouldn't it's happen the on vibe our watch man, it's, it's yeah <laughs> um and so i mean i say that I, I shouldn't have read them because it like i knew it was going to upset me and it wasn't like it wasn't like my job depended on me getting upset like on in one sense i should have read them because it's like a, being an informed citizen and and knowing what's kind of going on and i don't like i don't regret what your that taxes I... are paying for yeah um but it's that weird like you know the way in which you you phrase an argument in legal terms um is kind of i think for a lot of lawyers that work in this area particularly because a lot of the work done in this area is for free uh, motivated by this concern about the problem but you don't use language that like directly targets it the way that a community advocate does
0: yeah you're never going to walk in and say this is wrong you're going to say well what what does the law say where
1: where is what's happening departing from the law yeah and I think I, I hide behind that because I am motivated by this idea that like this is this is wrong but I don't I've never felt comfortable making an argument that other people should think that things are wrong just because I do. I find, and I don't think I have it in me to communicate effectively in that sense and be persuasive because I just end up getting really upset. So yeah, that and s- has some structure around it. What it, the the legal kind of side of it?
0: Yeah, well, uh, if you are dealing with the emotions of the matter that you should care about this or you should care yeah. about that, then it descends into well, I
1: don't, what are you going to do about it? I'm like, well, nothing, you don't, okay, good for you.
0: Yeah, and and kind of that thing that we were talking about before is you don't really get to choose what you care about. You don't get to decide what upsets you. You can, I guess, you can decide what upsets you and fit other things into that framework. Yeah. You know, if what upsets you is is the mistreatment of people, then a law could upset you or a whatever that happens to be or if what upsets you is the mal adjustment of the law then you can fit the people's distress into that as a manifestation of a misapplication of the law even if you don't care about human beings at all the fact that people are suffering and that's not what the law was intended to do would upset you but yeah it's an interesting it's interesting that you're using that framework because it helps you deal with that. Yeah, it's an it's an impossible question to answer. Why do you care about what you care about? Why do you care about your child rather than the 100 children in a developing country? You you can't decide to make that decision. Like you can't. Your heart's already made the decision, and and then you can only kind of shuffle in behind and go, oh well, I'll try and make my kid a good citizen. Yeah. <laughs> like I'll try and make them worth it. Yeah because you've already m- made the call you yeah. know you can't help it one way or another where can people find your stuff?
1: um i've got a few i don't have a, a staff page up yet because i'm really new into my job um i've got a few articles on um on the conversation and in academic journals yeah do you have an online presence are your personality um i wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm a personality, I've like <laughs> done a little bit of stuff when stuff's come up in my area on citizenship and on foreign fighters, so um, I, like, yeah, I kind of... Twitter, Facebook, Instagram? on Twitter, yeah. What's, um, your, what's your handle? At Sang Pill I'm a sporadic Twitterer. <laughs> Pillay, spelled
0: P-I-L-L-A-I. Yeah. So, look her up, say hello uh are you happy anything else you want to say i'm happy nothing else thanks, thanks. for coming on the podcast yeah thanks
1: for having me <laughs>
2: The door hoppers at every frame. Loudy rifle, doll, a howdy rifle day. On Monday morning, when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, Damn you, doll, cry up your hens. Loudy rifle, doll, rifle day. And when the boss, he looks round the door. Tie our ends up, doffers. He will roar. We'll tie our ends up, we surely do. For Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Loudly rifle, doll, loudly rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away. Is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our Love rifle. Right